This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, just to uh, recap the uh, the very latest story, this breaking moments ago, the Calgary Flames announcing that uh, General Manager Brad True Living and the Calgary Flames have agreed to mutually part ways. There was an offer on the table months ago, maybe close to the beginning of the season and the end, um, for Brad True Living to extend. He's on an expiring contract. Uh, he has chosen not to. Him and the Flames have agreed to part ways. Don Maloney uh, gets the bump up. He's now the president of Hockey Operations and will also hold the title of interim general manager. So that is the very latest as it relates to the Calgary Flames and Brad Treliving. Meantime, uh, there may only be one thing that can take down the Boston Bruins, and that is horrible illness. See what happens. Game one is tonight. The Boston Bruins and the Florida Panthers. A flu bug flying through the Boston Bruins right now. Uh, Andrew Raycroft, Bruins analyst and uh, part of the Morning Brew podcast alongside Billy Jaffe joins me now. Uh, Andrew, how are you and are you healthy? Fortunately, I am healthy, yes. Um, It's going around with the kiddos and stuff and certainly the Bruins. But I am fortunately healthy and ready to go tonight. All right, excellent. So fully healthy, fully hydrated, uh, fully rested, all ready for the playoffs. You know, we were to Elliot and I were just on a, a couple of seconds ago together, and Elliot brought up the uh, the example of the St. Louis Blues Vancouver series where Scott Mellenby got the flu from the kids, it went all through the dressing room, and Vancouver came back uh, and won the series. I don't want to get ahead of myself here. <laughs> Talk about the Bruins getting you know all this work getting undone by the uh, by the flu bug, but. Sometimes when we think of the flu, but we think, okay, they've got the sniffles. They can still go and play hockey. But as a hockey player, Andrew, you know, something like this can be devastating. Something like this can be just awful going through a dressing room. No question. Yeah, yeah. It can uh, it can take a lot out of everybody. And, and I think that's why you haven't seen a couple of the names and the guys that had it were, were not around the last few days. They don't want anyone near this, and, and they want to get them away from, from most of the players. So, it can certainly be a big issue. Uh, I, I'm not willing to go there, though, right now with the Boston Bruins. It's a couple of names. <laughs> One of the guys, Jeremy Swayman, was sick yesterday. He's back today. So yeah. uh, not quite ready to, to write off the historic season they've had without even playing a game yet. So you mentioned historic season, and you're right on a lot of levels. Uh, great goaltending. Uh, the defense has been fantastic. And, you know, Dimitri Orlov joins a trade deadline to make it that much better. Grizzly, Clifton, to say nothing of, you know, McAvoy and, and Hampus Lindholm, all have been excellent this season. And up front, yeah, everybody scores. Including the goalie. I mean, like everyone, everyone scores here for the Boston Bruins. Uh, what's been the biggest story to you for the Boston Bruins leading up to this game one tonight? Hmm. Well, depth. Depth is the easiest one to go to this season at all positions. You just ran through a bunch of names, and and everybody seemed to have had career highs and career seasons, um, or at least the majority of the players have. Yeah. For me, it's easy to go to Allmark. Uh, what a step that he took this season, winning. He's going to win the Vezina Trophy. His record is 40, 4 0, 6 and 1 this season in the National Hockey League. That'll never happen ever again. That, that's, that's craziness. And so you start with him, and then Hampus Lindholm, the back end. Hampus Lindholm, what he did without Charlie McAvoy in the lineup, and then what Charlie McAvoy's done since he's oh, in yeah. the lineup. And then, and then you add Orloff to that at the deadline. And to have those three guys on your back end going into this playoff run, 
uh, is so invaluable. And, and any one of them can play 25, 26 minutes a night at a, at a high, high level in this playoff run. And, and I think those are the, the two big things going into the playoffs. And, and then, of course, just the depth they have up front. David Pasternak, by the way, scored 62 goals this season. Oh, I didn't know. Oh, how did that slip by? Oh, wow, that was so quiet. We barely even talked about David Pasternak at all. Uh, you know, it's funny, too, because there's there's two players in this series that when we look at something like the Hart Trophy, like Connor's got this thing, so that the real race is for number two. And uh, I did my I did my ballots uh, uh, over the uh, my balloting over the over the weekend, and we're not supposed to disclose uh, who we voted for because these types of things are gambled on. Um, but there are two yeah. players that are in the conversation for the you know the uh, the runner up, which is the real race for the Hart Trophy. Both Matthew Kachuk and David Pasternak, and Pasternak's had this glorious season. The thing that I love about Pasternak is he kind of has this. I mean, first of all, he's an elite player. That's obvious. Uh, elite shooter, like, that's obvious as well. But he kind of has this, like, vibe of being just the guy that hangs around the rink. He's got, like, old gear. Like, I got one glove from two years ago. I got one glove from 10 years ago. I got old hockey pants that I've worn for 20 years. I barely tape my stick up, and when I do, it doesn't even look nice. Like, he's kind of got this, like weird sort of hockey vibe about him. And then he goes out there and he's the best player on the ice. Uh, I want to get to Matthew Kachuk with you for in, in a second, Andrew, but let me, uh, let me ask you first about David Pasternak and what stands out, I mean, outside of the 62 goals, obviously, what stands out to you about Pasternak? Oh, for me, it's his, the, the jump he took in leadership and his, him recognizing how important he is to this team and how he can dictate the pace of play. He can now dictate. He doesn't have to follow Patrice Bergeron or his buddy David Krejci and, and just be the guy that scores. He, he's now a leader for this group. And we saw it especially, we saw it a few times early in the season. There was a game they went out to Seattle. I think I talked to you about this around the, the last time we talked. He, he really, there was a long trip out there and, and not everyone had it, but David decided to show up and he was physical and he was in on the forecheck and banging bodies. And, and we've seen it even more the last couple of weeks when he was playing every game, trying to get to 60, 62 goals. And Krejci was out of the lineup. Marshawn was out of the lineup. Bergeron was out of the lineup. They went into Carolina and, and he's, that's where he scores his 50. And he's yeah. demonstrative. He's all over the place. He's the one leading by example. And it's not just his goal scoring. It's how he plays and, and with the pace he's playing at. And he, he really showed that over the last few months, or last few weeks, I should say. And I, I, I look forward to seeing that in the playoff because I think he does have another gear to not only just score goals, but, but to take a step in that superstar, I'm the guy mentality. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, Matthew Kachuk versus the Boston Bruins. Now, it's more than just Matthew Kachuk. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, Alex Barkov and Carter Verhage and Alex Lyon and uh, Aaron Ekblad, et cetera. And Brandon Montour has had a really nice season and Gustav Forsling, et cetera. But I think a lot of, the, I'll be honest with you, I think a lot of the curiosity going into this one is what do the Bruins do with Matthew Kachuk, Andrew? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I can't wait to see him running around tonight. And, and I'm, I, to that point, I'm looking forward to uh, is it the is it the ignore response and, and act like he's not there and don't fuel him, or is it put Hathaway, Felino, 
Marshawn, you put those guys right in his face and go back at them. Because like you talked about, and, and I can talk about the MVP a little bit more because I didn't vote. If it isn't for Connor McDavid, you have to look at what Kachuk has done to get this team into the playoffs on his own. And by the principle yeah. or the, the old school, most valuable player, you, you, he's got to be right there. David Pasternak's had a bunch of different helpers. Um, Dreisaitl has McDavid, but, but this guy's done it on his own with his physicality and so many injuries the Panthers have had. Um, he's got to be right there. And the Bruins have know that they're very well aware of that. And they also know the style he plays. So he's going to be hated here in Boston in about seven or eight hours. There's no question about that. And it'll be (laughs) fascinating to see how, how the Bruins deal with him. (laughs) It will be. It's one of the sidebars to, uh, to all this. And it it may take center stage at various points during various games as well. Um, So here's the question I think that everybody wonders about. I know we all hear about the president's trophy curse, et cetera, et cetera. But what's the kryptonite here? Like if you're going to beat the Boston Bruins, how do you beat the Boston Bruins? So you're gonna have to you're gonna have to be able to bend and not break. That that's gonna be a big one. Like you you look at this series and digging into it, how does Florida beat the Boston Bruins? Just once. Let's just say one game. They're gonna have to jump to a lead early in a game. They're gonna have to get a couple goals by going to the net, creating havoc in front of the net. Then they're gonna have to find a special teams goal, and then they're gonna kind of have to hang on and. That's, that's going to be the formula. I don't know how you're going to come back on this Bruins team three, four times in a series. So those first goals, mm-hmm. those first periods, that's where it's going to start for any team playing this team because they're just so locked in defensively. And, and the system they play, the system they played for a dozen years with their centermen, and now their defense that they have, you just you're going to have to get out to leads, and your goaltender is going to have to make saves in the in the third period. Um, I, I don't know if there's an exact style of doing that. That because the Bruins have shown they can play a b- bunch of different ways. I think you just have to rely on creating that uncomfortability, uh, as I say that improperly, in, in the Presidents Cup <laughs> team. The, right, like that's what Columbus did to Tampa Bay a yeah. couple years ago. They got down in that first game, but they came back and snuck one out. And then the next game, they got up on Tampa 4 nothing, and, and all of a sudden, there's a bunch of doubt. And whether it's the first round, the second round, the third round, that's what one of these teams is going to have to do that we haven't seen any doubt in this Bruins team all year. But that's what they're going to have to do, get out to a lead and, and start creating doubt. I want to finish up on this one. Um, and this is sort of the elephant in the room uh, as far as the Boston Bruins go. Um, are the Boston Bruins skating with the idea that this is their last shot with this group? We don't know what's going to happen with Bergeron. We don't know what's going to happen with David Krejci. Now, many could make the argument, even without those players, there's still a lot of elite-level players uh, on the Boston Bruins, and they'll be fine long-term. But as far as being a you know, Stanley Cup favorite, are they skating with the idea that this might be their last shot at it? 100%. And I think it started, the season started with the bergeron Krejci narrative. And now you get to yeah. this point, going into this run, you, they've had a historic season. We've talked about that a million times. No one's winning more games in a, in a few years at least. Not everyone can come mm-hmm. back because everyone's had career years. 
the Thomas Nosek of the world, even if Bergeron and Krejci come back, this team's going to be far different. Dmitry Orlov won't be here next yeah. season. So all of those things combined on top of the, the opportunity to be the historic team in the history of the NHL, or at least in the conversation, is, is all part of this now. So, so there is no doubt this group mm-hmm. is leaning into that, and, and they completely recognize that maybe it was last dance with Bergeron and Krejci, but now it's last <laughs> dance for everybody, for everybody. Yeah, it's uh, there's such. Uh, I, I'm glad you brought up the point about playing any way you want because I, my favorite team that I saw you know, growing up were the Islanders, and the reason I love them so much is. Just what you described. They could play any style. These are the, the dynasty Islanders, the four Stanley Cups in a row, like that team. And there is that element to the Boston Bruins as well. Like They don't mind getting dirty. They don't mind playing a two-to-one game. They don't mind playing pond hockey. They don't mind, like, however you want it. Like, the Boston Bruins just seem really, really comfortable no matter what the style of game is. And they're certainly well coached uh, by someone. You, know, you mentioned, you know, Linus Allmark's going to win the Vesna. I mean, it's going to be really tough, you know, for uh, uh, for Jim Montgomery not to win the coach of the year, the Jack Adams. So there's a couple of locks here. And, you know, now that I think about it, you know, Patrice Bergeron, they're probably going to have to <laughs> rename that Selkie trophy after him uh, one of these years. Anyhow, lots to get to. Um, game one tonight, uh, all the questions start to get answered this evening. 7.30 Eastern, the Florida Panthers and the Boston Bruins. Andrew Raycroft, thanks as always always for stopping by pal you got it jeff enjoy uh enjoy the week it's gonna be fantastic i know uh say goodbye to sleep but that's okay because it's the most wonderful time of the year andrew raycroft ruins analyst and part of the morning brew podcast alongside billy jaffe everything you need to know about the boston bruins um before we um before we get to the break and we have the top of the hour break coming up and aaron ports line on the other side we'll also talk to eric francis in a couple of moments, because the news of the day is Brad Treliving and the Calgary Flames have agreed uh, to part ways. Brad Treliving was on the expiring contract. Uh, Don Maloney steps in, gets the uh, the bump up, the president of hockey operations, and also the interim general manager tag. What does that mean for the Flames? Um, who ends up becoming the full-time general manager? Could it be Don Maloney? And what's next? For Brad Treliving, you know, I think we always wonder, do you want a lengthier pause, take some time, sit out maybe a season, or do you want to jump right back into the fire? And I'll just say what we're all thinking. The Pittsburgh Penguins are hiring. Hour 2 is coming up. Merrick Show across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Back in a moment. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, so we got a big hour or two coming up here. Aaron Portsline is going to stop by in a couple of moments. We'll talk about what's happening with the Blue Jackets uh, over the week. He covers the Blue Jackets for the Athletic, as we all know. Um, Brad Larson dismisses head coach over the weekend. So what's next? And as I put to Elliot in the first hour, is this the uh, the most important hiring uh, for general manager Yarmo Kekalan? Like the most important hiring of his tenure as GM 
uh, of the uh, of the Columbus Blue Jackets. You know, we look at May eighth, and that's a huge night for a lot of teams, and maybe maybe front and center, considering they've been looking for a center going back to oh, I don't know, the Doug McLean, Dave King era, which by the way was expansion. Uh, they've been looking for a center ever since then. Thought they had it a couple of times, and eh, not so fast. Um, so we'll get the uh, the latest on the Blue Jackets. Also, we added Eric Francis to the program. Uh, thought you'd want to hear from Eric and the very latest with the Calgary Flames, and the news is as such. If you missed it, uh, Brad Living uh, and the Calgary Flames have mutually agreed to part ways. A conscious uncoupling. When did they stop talking about divorces like that? Remember that was it for like a hot five minutes? Oh, no, we're not getting divorced. It is a conscious uncoupling. The Calgary Flames and Brad for Living have had a conscious uncoupling uh, between the two sides. Don Maloney uh, gets the bump up. He's now the president of hockey operations and takes over as the interim general manager. So lots uh, to do for the Calgary Flames. Uh, as they head into uh, what we suspect will be an interesting offseason. And then there's, the, of course, the draft uh, on the horizon. So one of the questions becomes, what's next for Brad Treliving? And, you know, a couple of things pop out right away. And I mentioned Pittsburgh before the top of the hour break, and that might seem an obvious one. Um, Fenway Sports uh, owns the Pittsburgh Penguins, as we all know, and it is a very corporate environment. Uh, so it takes a very specific type of person to be able to swim in those waters. I think we all believe that Brad Treliving would be able to very much swim in those waters, so that may seem like an obvious one. And then, and this is where it gets to, like, you know, internet rumor time, but, you know, why not Monday afternoon? Hey, we're talking about hockey. You know, you wonder what's going to happen with the Toronto Maple Leafs here. And I know that just about everybody outside of Tampa residents are picking the Maple Leafs to win this opening round series against the Tampa Bay Lightning. But as I've mentioned numerous times, and I think other people have as well, it is the fool who bets against the Tampa Bay Lightning. There's still that Vasilevsky factor, that Kucherov, that Stamkos, that, you know, take your pick, really, Braden Point, and go right down the list. Victor Hedman, uh, Mikhail Sergachev, keep going. Like, there's future Hall of Famers all up and down this lineup to see nothing of, you know, the brilliance of John Cooper. So if things go sideways for the Toronto Maple Leafs and once again they fail in the first round, could that be a landing spot for Brad Treliving? You know, I, I think this is the time of year, and we saw this with, you know, the Pierre Dorian press conference as well, where, you know, people and teams are starting to line up what their next hires are going to be. We can speculate all we want on it here on programs like this. That would be the nature of a lot of the conversations, I think, that are that are happening out there right now with the news that Brad Treliving is now ex of the Calgary Flames. Uh, also coming up this hour, uh, outside of Aaron Portsline, bottom of the hour, I'm going to talk to Corey Lavalette of North Star Journal and The Athletic. Uh, it is the Carolina Hurricanes and the New York Islanders and Rod Brindamore doing what many thought he should do and that is start Antti Ranta uh, as the uh, netminder tonight against Ilya Sorokin. It is the Islanders and the Carolina Hurricanes. That one gets underway at 7 o'clock Eastern. Uh, in the meantime, Aaron Portsline joins me now. Covers the Columbus Blue Jackets uh, quite well for the Athletic. Uh, Aaron, how are you today? Jeff, I'm doing all right, man. How are you? Uh, I'm doing good. So I, I've been mentioning to, to a couple of people, and most recently Elliot and Hour One, that in the Yarmo Kekalainen era, of the Columbus Blue Jackets, this next coach hire 
is the most important decision he will make. That maybe his tenure as general manager depends on it. Is that too strong? Is that too soft? Or is that right on the money? No, I think it's right on the money. I And I asked him sort of that question almost with those uh, exact words on Saturday. How, you know, when the GM makes coaching changes, <laughs> this is his third. He's been here 10 years, so that's not that's not crazy yeah. uh, a number of changes. But at some point, it does turn toward you. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, you know, everyone has to sort of put themselves in John Davidson's position and Mike Priest's position. Do you still believe in the direction of this club? This was billed as a reset three years ago when they started moving out Felino and Savard. I think they were much better last year than anybody anticipated, and that kind of created a mm-hmm. false sense of, of quickness to this whole thing, especially when you added Gaudreau last year. And, and that just went, like, off the charts in terms of anticipation here. Set themselves up for a hard fall this year. And then and no one likes to lean on this, but the injuries were just never-ending and devastating for this team this year. So they're kind of a hard team to – evaluate you know these things aren't going to go on a straight t- trajectory but at some point when a reset or a rebuild starts to take longer than you anticipate and it goes a couple seasons longer than you anticipate and they're not there yet um then you absolutely look at the gm and say okay maybe it's not the person charged with cooking the meal it's the ingredients that are being put on the on the countertop mm-hmm uh, that does happen. I mean, I, I I look at the Anaheim Ducks, and I don't think that had anything to do with coaching. That was all about composition, and that and that's essentially um, what it comes down to in a lot of these situations. At the end of a season, you say to yourself, "Is this a matter of composition, or is this a matter of coaching?" And generally, the general manager doesn't want to say that it's a matter of composition, so the coach ends up walking the plank. Um, we can get to the composition here in a couple of seconds, but one thing that I did want to ask you about. Uh, Manny Legacy was also relieved of his duties, so it wasn't just Brad Larson. And you know, Elliot made Correct. a great point in the first hour. He said, "Look, you know, this the 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 goalie decision, like the goalie coach decision, is you know just as significant as the head coach composition because someone they've made a significant um, they've made a significant interest in and a significant decision with Elvis Merzlikens, and someone's got to get to this guy." And someone's got to help turn this career around. We can get to Lina here in a second, but uh, your know, job number one here has to be uh, they got to figure out a way to get this guy back on track because they're spending a lot of money for a lot of years for a goaltender who last year really didn't perform well at all. At all, and in any way. I mean, so when you look at that situation with with Merzlikens, which jumps off the page, the play. Has, has eroded now over three or four years. He's gotten gradually worse, and then this year dramatically worse. The big, just as big an issue to me is that this. It doesn't seem that there is a an understanding there of how immensely important and big that role is, especially on a very young team like this. You're kind of the you're kind of CEO slash quarterback of it you have to be a foundational consistent piece that just radiates 
um, confidence and instilled hope throughout that room. And not only was was did Merzlikin struggle, but he was out of the lineup multiple times with injuries. He's a character which is great if you're playing well and not great if you're not playing well. And great there's point. just not a ton great of point. confidence back there. And he has to change. He's got to become a better player, A. That's the big one. And strangely, almost the easier one. We know it's in there. The other thing is, can he handle the workload and the responsibility of being the leader? And let, let me just say this real quick, because it's a very unique situation here in Columbus. It felt like things were working with Legacy and Merzlikens. They're bound by a tragedy. They were both there to yes. witness the, the firework tragedy, the death of Matisse Kidlaniex. I don't think it's out of line. I don't think it's crazy to say that Legacy's ability to be stern and to be the 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 principal of the, in the situation, to be a firm mm-hmm. hand with Merzlikens, which is what he needs. He became friends. They became uh, obviously on a very emotional level that very few people could ever understand. It just changes things, mm-hmm. and. They, they became father's son and not taskmaster's student at times when they needed to be that. And I, I think that's understandable and sad. Um, we just, you know that the Kid Lennox tragedy is going to be with you forever and in different ways. And I think this is a, a way that it still lingers uh, three years later. Let me, um, and I think those are all, Excellent points, and I don't know how anybody goes through something like uh, you know uh, Merzlikens and, and Legacy went through, and not have that profoundly change their relationship, and have them actually grow closer um, to maybe the detriment of their professional relationship. That makes a, that that makes a whole lot of sense, Aaron. Let me ask you about May eighth, and if the Columbus Blue Jackets win the lottery. Like someone's franchise is changing here. If it's Columbus, yeah. what happens? Like, does Yarmo go out and load up on free agents? Uh, what happens if the Columbus Blue Jackets win the lottery for Connor Bedard? Well, uh, um, you're going to get people excited with that question, Jeff, um, because the lottery's <laughs> never been kind to Columbus. <laughs> it's never been kind to Columbus. No, um, no, it well, has they, not. <laughs> They thank their, you know, their lucky stars. Um, I think one thing it does, I'm not sure we see a coach hire in Columbus until after the May 8th lottery, because I think that might open them up candidates um, that may not Hmm. necessarily be willing to, and willing to listen, certainly, but maybe not eager to jump. Uh, But if you land a Bedard, it passed along to me this weekend by two NHL GMs that, yeah, there, there are guys available that may not be available if they, wherever Bedard's going. So there's that's one thing to consider. Um, we know they're going to apply a free agency or try to apply a free agency for that left side defender behind Wierenski. That was true. Gavrikov yeah. was traded to L.A., so who fills that spot? The other thing they've got to figure out is the right side of the defense. There are candidates there, no obvious choices, especially – on, at the top, the top four is still a murky mess. And this season, 
because of all the injuries, again, did nothing to provide any clarity there. They love David Yerichek. Uh They think he's ready to be in the NHL oh, next year. Yeah, he's good. I'm. Yeah, yeah, he, he is good. But I'm scared to death that if I'm an NHL player, the idea of putting a 19-year-old on a top defensive pair, even with someone like Wierenski, who, by the way, is coming back from a major shoulder surgery. So I think Yerichek's second line makes a ton of sense that he may end up on the first pair with Wierenski out of necessity. Boakfist is a player that's shown some promise, but they've got a ton of pieces there also, Peak and Dean and Blankenberg and, and Gabranson and these guys, that something's got to give. They need some clarity on the right side. I think there's a trade there. Roslovic seems to be the odd man out down the middle with, you know, again, we're playing that they that they acquired um, Bedard in the draft. Voronkov's coming over from Russia, so that center ice position is going to change. Maybe Roslovic is expendable now. So maybe you're packaging Roslovic and some defenseman for uh, a more formidable defenseman. But there's a lot of moves to be made there. And I think they just need help and some the passage of time here, some growing up with this roster. They don't feel like they're far away, uh, but the Bedard you know, if they're able to land that from the number two spot, it would be a, 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 certainly a huge day for the organization. Let, let me finish up on, on one player. You know, back in 2018, I think we all thought that we were seeing the beginning of the next uh, elite goal scorer in the NHL when Patrick Liney scored 44 goals with the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, ever since then, now I understand that some injuries have been a part of it. Uh, indifferent play has also been a uh, part of it. And we talk about someone getting to Elvis Merzlikens here. Um, what does this organization do with Patrick Liney? Like, I, I look at Liney's skill set. I look what he's capable of doing. I always talk about how no one shoots harder um, and more accurately from distance than Patrick Line. And then every year at the end of it, I say to myself, ah, I just wanted more, like a whole lot more from Patrick Line because you know he has it in him, right? Yeah, it's there. It's there. And, you know, when he first got here, he, it was, you know, does he, is there a center here who can play with him? Um, so that's always an issue. Boone Jenner has been their number one center. I don't think anyone thinks that that is an ideal fit. Credit to Jenner. He always gives you more than yep. than you expect. He gives you everything he has. Um, he does. Yep. But but it, it's, it, it's a matter of how do you look at lining now? Is it, do you still look at him and see potential? I think you do because he's that wild, wildly talented. But he's been a fairly run-of-the-mill goal scorer since he's been here. The biggest issue with that is kind of like Mersley, because he's been in and out of the lineup repeatedly. And and so, you know, I'm not I, – I was – I'm okay with them trading him. I certainly – I know players who have left the organization before those changes were made have been asked what needs to happen here. And Line is a name that comes out uh, – comes up with get that guy out of here. Um, he's an odd fit in, in a lot of teams. He feels like the icing and not the cake, and they're still trying to bake a cake mm-hmm. here in, in Columbus. And, but then I look at things and you think, well, my God, if you have a, a team with Line A, Kent Johnson looks wildly t- 
talented as a young player. Kirill Marchenko, maybe yeah. you're adding Bedard. Maybe now is not the time to trade this player. He's still only, what, 23 years old? Um, maybe you hang on to that. You just signed into a contract last year. I'm of a mind you give it another year, make this thing uber talented up front, and see where he fits with that. I, I think there are times where he's played and looked dangerous, but he doesn't look like the elite goal scorer that you envisioned, we all envisioned, you know, three, four years ago. Sometimes it just it looks like the dog don't hunt. Uh, I'll, I'll be blunt with you, and he's got the skill set where uh, where if he did, uh, he'd be in the conversation every year uh, for the Rocket Richard. Aaron, always a pleasure. Great insight. Um, uh, listen, I, I'm with you on this this next hire. This is you know, this is going to be the uh, the most consequential and important hire in uh, Yarmo Kekalainen's career as the general manager of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Thanks as always for stopping by. Much appreciated. Well, thanks, Jeff. Always good to be with you. Aaron Portsline from The Athletic covering the Blue Jackets uh, saying goodbye to Brad Larson uh, over the weekend. All right, um, the news of the day, well, a couple of big pieces of news. It's day one of the Stanley Cup playoffs, and that's always uh, a big deal. And Pierre Dorian had his press conference this morning, and a lot of news came out of there, uh, but nothing bigger than this one, and that is Brad Trilliving and the Calgary Flames uh, have consciously, I'm not even going to bother trying, um, they've separated folks. Um, Brad Trilliving was on the expiring contract and uh, has decided not to renew. Don Maloney takes over, president of hockey operations, interim general manager. So uh, thanks for doing this one on the fly on, on last-minute notice, but news breaks. Uh, we go to Eric Francis uh, here for comment. Eric, thanks so much for doing this, and uh, surprise or no surprise to you? Not at all. Not a surprise at all. The timing was exactly what we expected. The announcement's exactly what we expected. Aside from the fact that Don Maloney is now going to not only be interim GM in, in search of figuring out who the next architect of this organization is going to be, but making him president of hockey operations. Did not see that coming. Uh, I'd be shocked if uh, Don mm-hmm. saw that coming. Uh, it's an interesting twist that I didn't see coming, and uh, we'll find out more about that in about an hour and a half, just under two hours. Or he's going to have a press conference and, uh, and, and answer some of our questions, but many of them will not be answered today until we hear from Brad Tree Living, of course. You know, I, I want to get the Tree Living here in a, in a second, and you know what happened with him uh, with the Calgary Flames, and, and maybe what's next for Brad Tree Living. But you know, I, I am curious, and I think a lot of us are um, the direction of this organization. Um, this is the team, you know, that's been put together by Brad Trilliving. Um, We've talked plenty about the expiring contracts um, after next season. Uh, what do you do with those? We've had those, you know, similar conversations about various players on the Winnipeg Jets, for example, and we all know what kind of summer Kevin Dayoff is heading into. Um, I don't know if we're going to get any answers today. I, I, I think you're right, but do you have a sense of where Calgary wants to go with this team? Like, is there enough there where you say to yourself, okay, there'll be a new manager in place. Uh, looks like the coach is very much coming back. Maybe if the goalie can turn things around or we go out and get another goaltender, we can run this thing back one more time. Do you get a sense of where the organization is at with this team yet? I don't think you can answer that at all until we find out who's in charge of this team moving forward. You know, who are the, who the next general manager is going to be Uh, if it's a veteran or if it's a first time general manager, I think that affects all of it. Um, 
you know, I, I think what we do know for sure is that Daryl Sutter will be the coach of this team starting next year for sure. And I think with the new general manager in place, you know, again, if it's a veteran who's uh, been around the block and, you know, then, then, then there is the chance that we'd have a coaching change, I guess, down the road, but I don't think you'd, can expect that anytime soon you should you shouldn't expect that anytime soon i think you know the news today to me tells you that you know management chose the coach and um and i think that's what it all boils down to you know I, they, they they have faith in this coach this owner does and uh and he's decided that the coach is more important than a general manager uh that's what i interpret mm-hmm. today's news as and uh and 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 decided to go in that direction so i think an easy argument could be made and and, and this would maybe be against conventional wisdom that people would see around the league but i think you could bring back almost an identical team as you have this year because that's that's what it looks like you know contractually and i think this team could be very competitive um you know a lot of things went wrong this year and just with a few things going right this team could easily have not only been in the playoffs but you know maybe even at home ice and and maybe been you know, a contender. And I don't think that changes, but what I do think is going to be hanging over this organization from now until, uh, till it's addressed is the fact that, as you mentioned, there's seven core players that all have expiring contracts next year. And the two most prominent ones, yeah. I would argue Lindholm and Backlund, uh, hinted, you know, well, they didn't even hint it. They made it pretty clear that their option is not probably not to come back to Calgary next year. Um, you know, they, they, there are greener pastures out there in their minds. So I think it's going to be a real tough sell to keep more than maybe two of those seven guys moving forward as, uh, as unrestricted free agents. So the, the complexion of the team will be dramatically different in a year from now. But as of right now, uh, it's hard to say which direction a new general manager is going to go in. Uh, let me ask you about Brad for living. Um, there was an offer made earlier this season, not exactly sure when, um, and then both the the manager and the team decided to shelve that and have the conversation uh, towards the end of the season. They've had it, and now they've uncoupled. Um, why do you think Brad Treliving didn't want to re-sign with the Calgary Flames? Was it just as simple as not being able to coexist with the coach, or was there something deeper than that? I think, I think it's safe to say that the, there was friction not just with the coach but with with the owner, Murray Edwards. I think that there were a lot of times when, um, you know, I don't want to speak for for Brad because I can't. I but I, but I, I guess I would speculate that, mm-hmm. and and just from things I do know, that, that it's not been you know all roses and smooth, and and I think that. The offer that was made to Trey Living is, you know, I, I think there's no question this this general manager wanted, or this coach, or sorry, this owner would have liked to have had this general manager back for next year. <clears throat> but Brad Trilliving just decided that it was untenable uh, given the friction between the coach and the and the owner. I mean, that's, that's a pretty tough uh, issue to be stuck in uh, when you don't feel sure. like you have the support of your owner in terms of, uh, moves that you may or may want to do regarding your coach and or the organization. So it became untenable, clearly, in, in the mind of, of uh, Brad Trilliving. And, you know, I think it speaks to how confident he is. He's betting on himself. I have no doubt in my mind. And, and listen, the Flames in the nine years that he was the general manager here only made it past the first round twice. So I get that there will be some people from the outside looking in going, well, 
yeah, okay, big deal. I, I don't blame the owner for for not backing this general manager more. Uh, but I can tell you that his reputation around the league, you know Brad Tree Living. You know people and how they think yeah. of Brad Tree Living. This guy is going to write his own ticket. He is not just going to be a general manager somewhere uh, in the National Hockey League in a year, uh, in maybe two months, or maybe it's two years. He's got all the time to wait for the perfect opportunity and not only be the general manager, but he may also be the president of hockey operations somewhere. That's how highly thought of he is, and I would be shocked if that's not the case you know, in about a year from now. So uh, he's decided that, you know, like so many people who come to these small towns or smaller markets or Canadian cities, there are greener pastures out there, and now he gets to go explore them like so many players will when they get a chance to be unrestricted free agents in Calgary. You know, I uh, I agree with you 100% on that, and it's um, the thing that I've that I've tried to point out as often as I can about Brad for Living um, is that, and we've seen some people succeed and others fail, and there's one thing that hockey people are becoming really acquainted with now, and that is the nature of ownership in this league is moving away from being family run to being corporately based. And I look at the Pittsburgh Penguins, and that's the big touchstone right now. Like this is like the Penguins are the you know this it's it's the only organization in pro sports in Pittsburgh that's not owned by a family, right? This is this is this is a corporation. This is Fenway Sports that that um, that owns the Pittsburgh Penguins, and you can really start to see you know who can swim there and who can't. And the thing about Brad Treliving is that he seems to have the skill set to operate either if it's a family-run business or if it's a corporation and they want things like weekly reports and group inclusion meetings and, 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 all those, you know, buzzwords and, you know, new ways to run operations that the NHL, albeit they're getting dragged, kicking and screaming into, is probably the way of the future for this league, Eric. Yeah, I don't, I don't question that, especially with franchises being worth, you know, upwards of a billion dollars, you know I mean? It's, how many families can <laughs> can extend themselves? <laughs> I know my family can't, <laughs> but uh, and, and I'm guessing yours too. But, but so corporations are certainly yeah the way of the future, and and uh, in terms of owning and operating these organizations, and I don't disagree. Like hey, I'm not I'm not there in board meetings or GM meetings or or, or any sort of meetings admin meetings here at, with the Flames. So I don't know how he runs meetings. I don't know how he operates in terms of the daily minutia, but I can just tell you that his reputation as, you know, uh, one of the hardest working people in hockey today, that goes a long way. Plus also, he's just a tremendous front man. Um, you know, he's, he's brilliant with the media. He's, uh, he's, he's, he's brilliant with the players. You're not going to find many players who don't absolutely love Brad tree living. Like uh, this is a very, very sad day for the Calgary flames organization. And again, some people may look at his record and say, ah, oh, they weren't going anywhere. And they're also at a real, point in time where the future doesn't look that great for this team um say for next year mm. uh you know I, I think a lot of people might say yeah it's probably time for him to go but i look at the whole package and and what you're missing there and i don't i don't know if there are many people in the league who bring as complete a package as brad Trilliving does and, and and i think teams will see that and corporations especially because they more than ever they want people that are smooth and that are proven and uh, he's proven to be a great front man. Again, hockey-wise, he just wasn't there. But um, And we can make excuses for that all we want, but I think everybody agreed a year ago 
or less than a year ago, he was GM of the year last summer, right? Everybody anointed him GM of the year. And again, it didn't amount to much <laughs> on the ice, but, uh, yeah. but, but everyone gave him kudos for the way he maneuvered through a really tricky situation. Uh, some things fell into his lap. Things, some things he had to make happen, but uh, no, no denying uh, your point at all. Um, Last one here for you. Uh, again, like we don't know what we're going to expect to hear, um, as you mentioned, in about 90 minutes' time. But what do you think now that you know Maloney is in interim GM, president of hockey operations, the coach, make no mistake about it, is coming back. What do you think job number one is for the Calgary Flames now? Well, finding that GM, you know, I mean, obviously that's job number one. And, uh, you know, uh, the most obvious candidate that people in Calgary will point to is Craig Conroy, who's your assistant general manager and is of course, absolutely beloved in this city. And, um, you know, I, I think that that's going to be fascinating to see if he gets the job or not. And the rationale behind either giving it to him or not giving it to him. Um, people in this city will be not happy. I I think generally speaking, if, if Conroy isn't given the job um, and, and, and the owners have to ask themselves, is, is this a situation, because this is a real crucial point, this organization's at a real crossroads. You want to give it to someone who's never been a general manager before, or do you really need to find someone who's been there, done that before? So, so many questions to be answered, you know, by this owner. Uh, it's an ownership group, to be to be fair, but uh, but Murray Edwards calls most yep. of the shots for this group. And so, and, and Murray's very reclusive. You know, I've touched base with him several times over the last couple of weeks, but he's not willing to talk on the record. He's not real keen on being in the public eye at all, and and nor will that change. So he wants a general manager who can be the face of the organization in so many different ways. So uh, that that's the big thing. I mean, what 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 are what are the marching orders for Murray Edwards to Don Maloney in terms of what we're looking for as someone who's going to run this organization? And in the meantime, you're going to have to deal with the fallout because there are going to be people who are going to leave this organization uh, because uh, Brad Treliving is leaving. I can tell you that for sure. This is, uh, you know, he's a very popular guy. Not not to say Brad's going to bring them wherever he goes next. Uh, he may, but some people are just going to say, you know what, he was the reason I stuck it out through all this turmoil in the dressing room and in this organization. And now that he's gone, I'm out too. Interesting times. Um, Eric, thanks for coming on at, uh, at moment's notice here uh, with the big news of the day, Brad Treliving um, and the Calgary Flames uncoupling um conscious uncoupling uh all right eric thanks as always for stopping by much appreciated pal. Yeah. thanks jeff i have a feeling we'll be talking a lot this summer <laughs> uh yes i think it's going to be a fascinating one for the calgary flames i'm with you uh i'm with you big time the great eric francis uh joining us on the on the story of the day and that is brad for living uh now ex of the calgary flames uh hitting pause back to stanley cup talk it is the islanders facing off against the carolina hurricanes uh, this one's going to be fascinating, and Rod Brindamore has already made an interesting decision. It'll be Antti Ranta, who starts in net for the Carolina Hurricanes tonight, not Frederick Anderson. Uh, shocker, Elias Sorokin goes for the Islanders. Uh, Corey Lavalette from North Star Journal and The Athletic in moments on uh, the Carolina Hurricanes. No Svechnikov, gotcha. Um, no Max Pacioretty, but still lots of firepower. What do we expect in this series? Corey Lavalette on that. In moments, Merrick's show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Back in a moment. Smart takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Day one, Stanley Cup playoffs. Four games on the go. 7.30, Florida Panthers face off against the Boston Bruins. 7.30 Eastern. 9.30 Eastern, Minnesota and Dallas. That should be a nasty one. Late 10 o'clock Eastern, the Los Angeles Kings and the Edmonton Oilers. And as we all predicted at the beginning of the season, Corpus Allo versus Skinner. What, you didn't think that's the way this is going to end up? Uh, and the early game, the first one, 7 o'clock Eastern, the Islanders will start Ilya Sorokin against Chex Notes and Tiranta of the Carolina Hurricanes. Corey Lavalette from North State Journal uh, and The Athletic joins me now. Corey, this is a, uh, on, the, on the scale of shockers, is this a mild shocker, maybe not a shocker at all, or a whopper? Anti-Ranta gets the start. Uh, I don't think it's too shocking for those of us who have kind of watched how this season has unfolded. Um, for whatever reason, Frederick Anderson never really got into any kind of rhythm, and it, it felt like, you know, two weeks ago, he was going to be the guy, and, and he played back-to-back games, uh, even though Rod had been, Rod Brendamore had been alternating the two of them. Uh, and it, it just never really clicked for Anderson. It, you know, he's had his moments of being good, but that, that season finale, you know, against Florida was kind of the microcosm of his season where uh, he played well for two periods, and then that third period kind of, you know, it, he lets in a leaky goal and things kind of go a little sideways overall. And, they, you know, they scratch out a win. But uh, for whatever reason, when, when Auntie Ranta's in net, this team seems to win. And um, when Freddie's in net, they win a lot, too. I mean, they win a lot of games. There's no doubt about that. But it just yeah. never really, I, I don't know, it, he never returned to the form that he had last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can hear a lot of you know people listening in our Toronto market that are bobbleheading as you're as you're talking about this with with Frederick Anderson. So that's uh, has kind of become the the the, the story. Um, so w- what happened down the stretch here with the Carolina Hurricanes? Like at times this team has looked like well, I'll be blunt. Like when they start firing the puck around, it's Harlem Globetrotters time on ice. Like it looks spectacular. Um, you know, playing 50-50 puck going down the stretch. Uh, they scratched and clawed, and they got there, and they fought off New Jersey and fought off the Rangers and, and, and got the spot they wanted. But what happened? And I know that this is the big reset now. Game one is always, okay, the new season. But what happened down the stretch for the uh, for the Hurricanes? Well, I mean, we all know how good Andrei Svechnikov is. And even if he hasn't emerged yet as yep. a 40-goal or 100-point guy, the way he plays fits the way the Hurricanes want to play so well. And you can do okay without him, but there's a trickle-down effect. And I think that's kind of what, what happened is all of a sudden you lose kind of that, that top horse that you have, and it all kind of trickled down everywhere. And the fourth line, which had been so good all year, I mean, if you look at, uh, at analytic stuff on the fourth line, it's no matter who they put there, they were – you know, at 60, 65% Corsi 4 every single night. And when you can do that with your fourth line with kind of this mm-hmm. body punch mentality that the Hurricanes have where they just want to beat on you. They want to, you know, even if the fourth line is not scoring, if they're delivering body blows to you, it, it softens you up. And that kind of, they got away from that a little bit. It got away from just having that line after line after line of, they're just coming in waves at you. And that's kind of what happened. It felt like maybe they got back to it a bit in those last couple games of the season and really kind of grasped things again. And, you know, they, they held off the Devils. The Devils didn't play great down the stretch either. The Rangers played pretty well. Yeah. It seems like almost that whole, almost the whole Metro at the, at the top three 
had a little bit of like, all right, let's get to the playoffs already. So I'll be curious to see how they come out tonight <laughs> right at the start. You know, I, I, I think we're all curious about this one. And, you know, it's a return of Matthew Barzell for the uh, for the New York Islanders here. And I'll be honest with you, Corey, I look at this series and we'll see tonight. Um, I look at this and I say, okay, whichever team can get to three goals first is going to win the game. Does it feel that way to you as well? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it certainly has the potential to have kind of those 2-1 games. And that's what, you know even though the Hurricanes swept the Islanders in 2019 in the second round, those games were close until, until game four. And it was kind of the same kind of floppy muck and grind, you know, like you're saying three goals mm-hmm. wins the game kind of mentality. And I think, I think we could see that, you know, starting tonight as well. Um, I'm really interested to see where this goes. Cause these are two of the teams in the playoffs that have, you know, struggled the most on the power play. If you take that aspect out, if they're both a wash on special teams, which they could be, I don't think either team scored on the power play in any of their four games, which is kind of unheard of. Um, you know, if, if it's a five-on-five game, I think it favors the Hurricanes. But to your point, the Hurricanes aren't going to score seven goals on you. They're going to, you know, beat you three to one. <laughs> is, is there a... um? You know, I we did balloting over the weekend, and you know, one of the things that was uh, one of the trophies that was real tough because there are so many contenders for it was the Norris. And you know, you, you have a look at the season that Brent Burns just put in front of everybody. You know, I always look for sort of wild card players in, in various series. You know, who's going to step up and be you know ridiculously effective? I wonder about Jordan Stahl uh, for the Carolina Hurricanes. Like I think we know what we're getting with with Aho, and I think we know what we're well. Actually, we probably don't know what we're getting with Martin Natchez. But if you're a Hurricanes fan, you hope you're getting what you saw in the regular season. I just wonder how much of a how much of a wild card Brent Burns, who's really on a real nice groove here, can be for the Hurricanes starting tonight? What's funny to me about about Burns is that the perception of him is he's this big kind of wild-looking guy. Um, you think that his personality is going to be that big. And he's actually he's a pretty quiet guy around us. Um, and he's not like a overly physical guy on the ice, which is a little surprising given his size. That said... You go back to those Vegas San Jose series and he and Max Pacioretty had some beef throughout, <laughs> throughout those, throughout those yeah. series. And um, I wonder if we're going to see a more physical, uh, a more snarl uh, Brent Burns, which if you look back at, at the, the partners, Jacob Slavin has had the last few years. Okay. Dougie Hamilton fits kind of the same mold mm-hmm. as Burns as a shoot first uh, mobile, big, but maybe, you know, in the regular season hasn't been overly physical. Tony D'Angelo, more of a passer, uh, but feisty. And I wonder if we're going to see a mix of both with Brent Burns in the postseason. Um, Rod Brendamore loves these guys that, you know, from 2006, that was a team loaded with guys who, who hadn't won a cup. You look around the Hurricanes locker room, and there are a lot of veteran guys there who haven't won a cup. Brent Burns is one of them. I think I think we're going to see a different level of his play, and I think we're going to see as a as a seven-game series, especially against a team like the Islanders that are physical, uh, I think we're going to see a little more snarl out of Brent Burns and another element, him elevating to that level, and it should be really fun to watch. Who, who are you most curious about on this Carolina Hurricanes squad? You know, we've, 
you know, mentioned, you know, talked about, you know, Brent Burns. And I, I do wonder, you know, what Martin Natchez has for us in, in this breakout season uh, for Natchez. But wh- which player or which players, Corey, are you most intrigued by? Oh, I want to throw Jordan Stahl into that mix, too. Who are you most intrigued by this postseason for Carolina? I mean, Natchez comes to mind for sure. The two guys that I think they really need to to do something this this postseason is one, Jesperi Kokinemi has been really, really good second half of the season, and I think that gets overlooked because he only had three points in the first 20 games. So you look at 45, 46 points, and you're saying, well, he didn't really do a whole lot. But, this, you know, in the last 60 games of the year, he had the majority of those points. And then I think Seth Jarvis is the kind of guy who's a playoff player. Uh, he was just fearless last year. You know, he took a, uh, a shot, a, a slap shot, not, not from the puck, but a stick in the mouth, bent his teeth all back, took a shot in the nether regions that he said, you know, <laughs> really slowed him down quite a bit. He's a tough little guy, and uh, he's been playing really well, even if the numbers don't reflect that. I'm really curious to see how year two of Seth Jarvis in the playoffs goes. Who um, who on this Carolina team has, and, and maybe the answer is the coach, I don't know, maybe it's the manager, I don't know, maybe it's a player, maybe it's a netminder. Who has the most riding on the playoffs? Like From a personal point of view, which member of the Carolina Hurricanes organization has the most riding on these playoffs? You know, I think it's Martin Natchez, you know, because he had kind of his breakout year this year. He really had a great season. And, and since Andrei Svechnikov has been hurt, it's almost like he's regressed a little to where he was last year. And, you know, the Hurricanes got a bargain this year at getting him for $3 million for this year and next year. But I can guarantee you Martin Natchez expects to be paid after next year. And to do that, he's going to have to prove that he can continue to be a major factor in the regular season, but more importantly, can he be a factor in the postseason? He did a lot of his damage this year uh, in situations like four-on-four play or even in overtime, you know, scored tons of overtime goals at three-on-three. That all goes away in the playoffs. So I'm really curious to see um, if he could elevate himself, if he can elevate the power play. I don't think people have seen enough. He's got that little Alex Ovechkin one-timer uh, that he used a lot in Chicago. We saw it a couple times this year. That's a weapon I'd like to see him use more on the power play that could help, you know, give give the Hurricanes a spark that they haven't had on, on special teams. Let me uh, let me finish up here, Corey, by asking you something about uh, about off ice, and that is the future of Eric Tulski. Now he's someone who was a finalist for, as you you know all this, uh, finalist for the um, uh, the GM position with the Chicago Blackhawks. You know there are some uh, some manager positions that are open right now. Uh, the latest being the Calgary Flames that happened earlier today. Uh, there's the Pittsburgh Penguins, and I think we wonder about Tulski, his name there, and the the Dubas rumors are all over the place. And someone whispered John Chaika to me over the the weekend as well. Um, what's the future here for for Eric Tulski as we head into this summer, where we think that there's going to be a number of changes at a lot of different positions? Essentially, what I'm asking you is, how long can Carolina keep hanging on to this guy? Well, he's at an interesting crossroads right now. Um, I know Eric pretty well. Our sons played against each other a little bit. Um, and his son's oh, nice. a year older than my Yeah. 
And my son's actually named Brody, too. So whenever I hear you talk about your Brody, I'm like, hey, me and Merrick got <laughs> matching Brodies. Um, That's good. But, um, yeah, uh, you know, his son's getting close to, to graduating high school, and, that, you know, that's his only kid. And that's a situation where you think, well, you get a kid out of the nest, and does it become a situation where yeah. you're ready to, to, to try something new and go somewhere else? Um, he's a brilliant guy. He's not just a numbers guy. He's a really smart um, hockey guy, too. And, you know, I think he has a, nope. a touch to him that really, you know, resonates well in that group. I, I think it's sometimes overstated about how much influence he has. You know, Don Waddell is the GM. He makes the, you know, he and Tom Dundon are the ones making making the call. But Eric contributes a lot to those decisions. And he's just a really, really uh, brilliant guy. And I think I tweeted it the other day. I think anytime a GM job opens up, you know, I saw Calgary opened up and I thought, well, but, you know, if his name doesn't yeah. at least get mentioned in every opening that happens, whoever's doing that search is probably probably doing it wrong i was surprised the flyers went immediately to daniel briere and didn't do you know cast a wider net maybe um you know because that's obviously a a team that would interest Mm. eric i think um so yeah i mean he's gonna get his chance eventually um you, you mentioned pittsburgh and i think about what fenway did with um you know with the red sox they're the ones who you know had theo epstein in there um, and that was kind of a off the board crazy thing at that point. I don't know that it's that crazy anymore with taking an analytics tilt to your to your GM position. But uh, if there's a an organization that might be more willing to do it, it might be them. You know, it, it is interesting, Corey, the way that um and and again, hockey is you know the the last of the big sports to to get dragged kicking and screaming into this way of thinking. But when it comes to to managers here, it's it's very much changed. Like <clears throat> the conversation around who should be hired has changed from the question, "Did you play?" to "Can you think?" And you know the perfect combination is is right in between. And that's kind of where Major League Baseball, because the pendulum swung really hard to the "Can you think?" as opposed to "Did you play?" But now, considering how many players are involved in and, and curious about and learning more about you know sabermetrics, etc., it's sort of swung back to the middle. The pendulum is still in the in in its process of swinging the way of "Can you think?" in the NHL before it you know settles back in the middle right here. And I think that. It's going to be, and Kyle Dubas was one, uh, John Chaco was another, and I think that Eric Tolsky is going to be a, a, another, you know, another another box checked here in managers that eventually get hired who fit under the umbrella of can you think, not necessarily did you play. He's a fascinating guy, um, and I, I, I'm with you. I think that's going to be increasingly and increasingly tougher uh, for Carolina to hold on to them, but we'll see. Uh, more pressing things. Game one tonight, Carolina Hurricanes and the New York Islanders. Antti Ranta gets the start. Elias Sorokin gets the start for the Islanders. Corey, always a pleasure. Um, best of luck to you in the playoffs, and best of luck to Brody in his hockey pursuits. Thanks. Same to your Brody. Great name. Great name. Uh, all right. Uh, Corey Lavalette from North State Journal and The Athletic commenting on uh, the opening tonight. The opening game is the New York Islanders and the Carolina Hurricanes and the return of Matthew Barzell. Haven't seen, haven't seen him since February the 18th. Uh, it would be good to see him back on the ice playing with Bo Horvat. 
Um, this one, an intriguing one. I don't know. Like, whenever I say things like this, it ends up being like a 6-5 to five game. But don't go into this one expecting fireworks. Don't go into this one expecting the aforementioned 6-5 game. But nonetheless, should be an exciting series as well. Uh, the Florida Panthers facing off against the Boston Bruins. That one at 7.30 Eastern. Let me get the distribution for you here. should probably do this professionally. 7 o'clock Eastern on Sportsnet 360. That's where you can see the Islanders and the Hurricanes. Uh, 7.30 is the Panthers and the Bruins. Uh, You can watch that one on Sportsnet East, Ontario Pacific, and CBC. The Wild and the Stars at 9.30 Eastern. That one's on 360. And then at 10.30 Eastern, it's the Kings or that. No, sorry, 10 o'clock. The Kings and the Oilers on Sportsnet Ontario, West, East, and Pacific. Enjoy that. Stanley Cup playoffs, game one. Get ready for the sprint, the most wonderful time of the year. I want to thank Corey Lavalette for stopping by. Eric Francis, who commented on the uh, news of the day. Brad Trilliving, now ex of the Calgary Flames. Aaron Portsline of The Athletic. Andrew Raycroft, Bruins analyst. Elliot Friedman from the NHL on Sportsnet and 32 Thoughts. Uh, Tristan Marcajani, thank you so much. Lance Kennedy and Jen Rolnick, all those three people had an idea that we were all going to make this show better. They did, but I had other plans. Back tomorrow, recapping day one, previewing day two of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Enjoy it. Merrick Show back in 22 hours.